I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, so this is episode 14 of Developers Eating the World, and I'm sitting down with Emily, who actually, traveled, you traveled my way, which is very nice of you, and we're sitting at Anthony's in downtown Golden, and uh, Emily, you work for the The Fool. Yeah, The Fool, The Motley Fool. I love Fool. that. <laughs> and you're a developer there, right? Yeah, I'm a developer. I work on our fool.com team. Okay, yeah. well, I'm going to ask you more about that, but I'm going to start out with the question that I think is even more important because we're at a pizza place. So what's your favorite, New York style or deep dish? Uh, I really like Detroit style. Have what's you had Detroit? Detroit style? No. Okay, there's a place in uh, our neighborhood called Blue Pan. They have two locations in Denver. And it's like a, it's like deep dish. They cook it in like one of the skillets, but it's really fluffy and they bake cheese into the crust. And the sauce and everything is on top of the cheese. It's so good. I can't do it. But more <laughs> offensive to me than deep dish is like the run-of-the-mill pizza place. Oh. It doesn't say thin nor deep dish, and you get this like nasty crust. But no, this pizza is this is exactly what I expected. Yeah, it looks legit. The salad looks good too. And I got wings, so I'm gonna be messy as hell. I hope I don't break the microphone. <laughs> That was a we bad idea, but the, wings are my vice. Anywhere I go, uh -huh. I will order the wings, always. Oh, okay. Do you have like a favorite sauce or like what's your really, go-to? No. Well, yeah, I mean, classic buffalo, but uh -huh. I don't know why. I will always order a flight. If there's a flight oh, of anything, I will okay. always order sliders and always order wings. Nice. I don't know why. The wings look legit. They look really good. So we were talking about it earlier. How did, how did you get into death? Oh, okay, yeah. So I, well, I have a degree in biology. Um, and the more developers I meet, it seems like, I don't know, people kind of like come from either music or biology. It's weird. The music one, I think, is more strange than the biology. The biology one makes sense. Yeah. You put everything in a category. Right, yeah, you do lots of experiments. There's like some, uh, I don't know, There's a hierarchy. In there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I like thought I wanted to go to medical school and I got a job out of college um, working in healthcare. And I mean, it was a great job, really rewarding, but it just wasn't what I could see myself doing forever. So I was like, dang, like I have this degree, like what can I do? I have to like go back to school basically to like get another job. Um, and my boyfriend, now husband at the time, worked at a startup. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you can just, like, do whatever you want. Like, you can learn new things. Like, you don't have to be there from 8 to 5. So I started in a looki looking into careers in tech, and um, I really love development. Um, actually, I lived in D.C. at the time, Washington, D.C., and they had a really strong community for Ruby on Rails and Rails Girls. Cool. <laughs> Not, not that was the wrong timing for that. Rails yeah. Girls, awesome. Ruby, bad. Yeah, well, this was like in 2012, 2011, yeah. um, before like any of the coding schools or anything. And so I got hooked into development through them, and I ended up loving it, getting a job with the Motley Fool, and the rest yeah, of the Yeah, but like right into 
Monthly Fool, right? How did you? Uh, well, not exactly right into it. So I, well, <laughs> I saved up enough money for like seven months of not having a job because I started doing Coursera classes online. So I think they only had like a couple of dev boot camps in the US at the time and they were not in DC. Um, and I couldn't really feasibly like travel to them. So I saved up money, started doing Coursera classes, going to like all the meetups I could and I set a deadline for myself. I'm like if in seven months you don't have a job as a developer, like you need to do something else. So I kind of like taught myself and I networked and I got a part-time internship at this awesome digital agency in DC called Social Driver. Okay. Um, and they were mostly a WordPress shop at the time. Um, they were just awesome guys and they really gave me a leg up and exposed me to a lot of new things in professional development. So that was my first job in development. And then I started working for The Motley Fool through a program called Dev Spandex. Dev Spandex. Yeah, that we were chatting about. And that's how, yeah, that's how I ended up here. I picture, like, I'll buy a pair of the spandex and I'll wear them around for you guys. I'll, I'll wear them for one of the episodes, too. I know. We should have totally, yeah, branded some spandex. I never even thought about that. Um, well, if you do, I'll wear them. Okay. Yeah, we should, we should do that. I'll take the challenge. <laughs> I could see that being a hit at the Molly Pool. Uh, well, that's, that's good to hear because you think finance, yeah. Yeah. No, our culture is super, um, like, embracing and... Uh, just fun, I don't know. I mean, it's one of our core values, fun, and I think we really live up to it. Even in the while. naming of things. How yeah. long have you been there? About six and a half years, so. So, over that amount of time, not only, you know, being in a role like that, you've probably seen a lot of technology shifts. Has your guys' stack kind of stayed consistent over that time, or? Um, so, when I started, we were basically a .NET shop, and, um, we were in the process of writing a new content management system. So we're basically, I mean, we're a content site. Um, so okay. we were writing a new content management platform and we had chosen Django and Python at the time. And so um, we built that platform. That was a huge shift and we really embraced Django as a tech culture and we started moving all of our applications to Django and Python um, and since then we've added some like JavaScript frameworks in the mix for various things and our team has a new PWA, a progressive web app that I think is super cool um, and that's written in Vue and then we're doing like some AMP stuff but... AMP? Yes, um, yeah. I don't know AMP. It's this new um, like protocol Google put out for um, making your pages like lightning fast. Wow, how have I not heard about that? But it's not like just compression or? It's, uh, no, it's a what you basically do inline all of your styles, but they have like limits on what the size of the page can be to download and you can't have like custom JavaScript on the page to really weigh it down either. So, yes, I have heard of this. Yeah, yeah. So we have some of that um, out there too. Most of our pay, our free content actually is has an AMP equivalent to what you would see on a desktop. So I'll let you take a bite. Oh. <laughs> so what is your favorite? You talked about AMP. What is your favorite 
new technology um, that you guys have worked with? I think Vue is pretty cool, Vue.js. Um, it seems like pretty lightweight and pluggable where you need to use it without like bringing in a lot of heavy, heavy JavaScript into your application. Um, it was pretty easy to integrate into Django too, which I appreciate. I've done like an Angular app years ago, um, and that was not easy to just plug and play into how Django works. But um, yeah, Vue has seemed pretty cool. Now, how are your teams set up? Like, do you have like smaller individual teams or? We have, um, yeah, we have various teams. Probably the largest tech team is about seven people. Um, and we organize by like content site basically is how the developers go. So like our free site, the way we make money is based off of subscription. We're a subscription okay. company. So you can buy a subscription to our paid um, stock picks. Um, and those services have a different development team than our team. Um, and they use a different like Django project and everything. Um, and then we have our core services team, which does like our content management system and some other um, core APIs that everyone uses. And then we have like a marketing tech team and now we're launching some new um, product lines that we're really excited about. One is called the Ascent, and it's kind of a competitor to, excuse me, to Nerd Wallet. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but a foolish take, and only like you know. Foolish take. Yeah, a foolish take. Um, like we're not recommending credit cards that we only get paid for. We're trying to be unbiased across oh, the board. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, you should check it out. Um, but yeah, so they have their own tech. Team you know why well. I won't use NerdWallet? Why? I hate the commercials. Just because of the commercials, I'll never use NerdWallet. Like TV commercials? Yeah. Oh, I don't think I I've seen any. Them. What are their TV commercials? They're just—I don't know—they're—they're they're absurd, and they don't. Well, I'm—I'm I'm in marketing, so I think about this stuff. They're—they're <laughs> they're offensive. Um, I haven't seen those. any. Yeah, there's I'm a lot. I have to check it out. Like, okay. Yeah. So, have you gotten into investing? Yeah. Well, when you join, one of the benefits is they give you money to invest, or, or when you're hired, not when uh -huh. you join. Yeah. Um, and so, and actually, in our office in Colorado, we have an investor, one well, an analyst. We call them analysts um, in that office, and he's always talking stocks and helping us to understand the investing world better. So today's an interesting day for that. Yeah. Yeah. The Dow's <laughs> down like what? Five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. I mean, we definitely try to preach like buy and hold long term, but it's great to know when you can take advantage of cheap prices for yeah. stocks that you're interested in. So. Insane, hypersensitive market. <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been pretty volatile for the past yeah. couple of years. And I, you know, the investing I do is through Acorns because I like, I like it. Just like the idea of the automatic roundups. Oh, cool. Okay. Acorn. I don't know. And their app is awesome. Actually, I did a piece on their app dev process because when they launched, it was probably like five years ago, and they were mobile only. And I thought that that was a pretty kind of aggressive move. And I talked to their QA people, and it was cool what they were doing. Really cool. Especially on their release automation process. Hmm. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Um, 
know, the article's old now, but they're probably doing a lot of new things. But how do you guys, like, do you get involved in the release automation process as well? Yeah, so we have a DevOps team internally, and they actually, we've just moved everything to Docker. That's also a new technology that has really helped us streamline our Just Docker or Kubernetes? Yeah, Kubernetes, yeah, Docker, Jenkins. Um, Jenkins. Yeah, continuous integration. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we Poor do. Emily is staring at me just shoving <laughs> chicken wings in my face. <laughs> well, I need a photo for the Instagram of, like, the wing sauce. Oh, that would stuff. be good. Yeah, yeah, right? You want me to get one? <laughs> yeah, but you'd have to grab my phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then you'll we'll have to it. say your super secret next, password. Next, yeah, the fingerprint. <laughs> my fingerprint's definitely not going to work right now. So, sorry. Jenkins, DevOps, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we do have, yes. So, we, the way it works at The Fool is we um, work with the team to, like, they will, they've migrated all of our servers to being, like, Kubernetes and Docker containers, and then... Um, we are in charge of our own deployments. So oh. like if I'm ready to deploy, like nice. I deploy. That's what I want to hear. Now yeah. what about supporting your apps? Are you on call for your code? Yeah, I'm on call right now actually. So hopefully nothing goes down. <laughs> Nobody break the site, please. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so we have an on-call rotation and that's by team as well. Our team is, um, so my manager manages Myself and then our paid products, the subscription services I was talking about. <laughs> so what's your, in that delivery chain, so you said all the keywords, you said Kubernetes, you said you manage your deployments, that's awesome. Yeah. What has been the biggest benefit to you in that shift to containers? Um, well, it's a lot faster for deployments now, which is a huge benefit to us. Like before, maybe a deployment would take like 12 minutes because it would have to like, it couldn't just like take a package and like deploy it to a server in like a single click. It'd have to like rebuild the entire image for every right. environment. So um, that's been a huge benefit. And then the other really big benefit has been feature environments. So before, if we wanted to test a branch, we'd either have to test it locally or test it on our staging or preview right. environment. But now we have a dedicated feature environment where all oh, our branches get deployed to. Yeah. So they're like, as soon as you push to a feature branch, um, it starts the build and it automatically deploys it to one of the containers and it will, you can just test it out there. It's awesome. That's cool because um, I would consider um, Motley to be in the very early cohort of mm -hmm. tech companies. So like mm, yeah. Airbnbs and eBay, et cetera, mm -hmm. where you were, you were a tech company, you were adopting new tech processes, technologies, but now they've been around long enough that you know containers are all, all of that stuff's new. So have you guys made the next leap, microservices, architecture as well um as far as i know we haven't there could be teams that are working on um building like those but we we haven't as far as i know not that i'm aware of so. but what what has allowed you guys to adopt containers and kubernetes like do you have a very um big api focused organization because it's not just something that's an infrastructure thing but it's also in fact the application 
It's a what? It also impacts the application oh, yeah. too. Uh-huh. Um, we... I think... I don't honestly know what the impetus was to go to Docker and Kubernetes. Um, we had a deployment system that a lot of people wanted to update and make changes to, and it wasn't very easy to update that system. And so I think when we started having those conversations, people were just like, well, like, what's the best thing that we could do? Like the next thing where like everyone's gonna be going. Um, and I think it's certainly easier for the DevOps team doing um, Kubernetes, excuse me. So um, I'm guessing that's where originally, but we don't really have like a culture where, like we try a lot of things internally. I mean, that's sort of like from every level of the business to tech, like we, we don't really have constraints. So, um, I mean, we try to like make small bets, you know, and then like see how those work on a larger scale. But um, I don't, I don't know, that's a good question. I, I think it's cool because I mean, the number of, still it's the majority of the companies you talk to who'd be like, okay, we've bought into DevOps, we know containers are a thing, yeah. but we can't do it. Yeah. Like, there's always some cop out. Yeah. And it could be technology, it could be a process, but there's very often there's some sort of cop out. So that you guys, the fact that you embrace it, and it doesn't sound like it was extremely disruptive. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Our DevOps team is amazing. I mean, they had written out like a readme for like what we should be doing with the, um, well, it was a Google Doc, Google Doc of instructions. Um, and then they would, uh, I mean, it was a big uh, PR when they like, you know, added like the the continuous integration files and all the YAML and the Docker files and all of that. But I don't know. We just have a really collaborative culture, and nobody, I don't think, questioned things enough to say like, no, we shouldn't do this. So wow. yeah. now, how has your feeling about your application and way you code changed now that you're part of your deployment and supporting it? Well, we've always been able to deploy whenever we want to since I've been at the pool. Um, so the feature branches have changed in that we can be a little more free in our coding because we don't have to worry about like taking staging down and having to like, I don't know, rebuild whatever on staging if we screw it up. Or um, So it's made us a little more bold, I think. And it's also the fact that the builds kick off on every push to a feature branch has caused us to get a lot more streamlined. So we can't just have like a hundred branches hanging out, you know? Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. There hasn't been that much that has impacted like my day to day from switching to, to Docker. It is, I don't have as much control over the like servers. Like I can't just like SSH in and right. like, run commands. Is that because they're immutable? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I think that the containers themselves have like permissions on them where they don't allow like the developers to just log in and do stuff now. I don't know. How often do you guys deploy? We probably deploy, I don't know. It can be as much as like five times a day to like once every three days. Oh, so it changes that. Yeah. Often. Yeah. When we have something that's like ready to go out, we just push it. And we have a lot of, um, we try to have 
a lot of defensive coding so that if we like, like basically our free site is just a consumer of other APIs and it's, so we try to have a lot of defensive coding if we like don't get like a, I don't know, a feel right on that API or something so it doesn't take like fool.com down. Right. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of trust internally from our business folks. Like they trust us to get things done and if we think it's ready to go, it can go out. And so. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. How do you like discover new tools, test new tools? How do you um, decide what you like, what you don't like? Usually I'll do a tutorial if people, so ideas, I think at least at the full, ideas really come from the individual contributors being like, hey, like let's try this new thing, like Docker. Um, and Kubernetes came from people being like, this is what I'm seeing and like, I think we should go this way. It's not entirely like top down um, in the tech tech department at The Fool. So um, like with Vue, we were considering developing a PWA and we looked at a few frameworks and we had, so we used contractors for some of our work and we had some Upworkers write a couple of different um, basic PWA applications and a couple of frameworks and I don't know, we just reviewed the code and like had an internal discussion about what we liked about each framework, what we didn't like, like how we could scale this internally if we could use it in other places, not just the PWA. So that's how um, I make most of my decisions for like what we're gonna do professionally, like in our code. Um, and I think that's what other teams do as well. They'll have someone who will go off and build a side project and something new and be like, hey, like I tried this, can we do this on a larger scale? I mean, that's not, it's not awesome if everyone's using different technology, but when we have, um, like we started using Vue and then some other teams started using Vue for just like JavaScript components in their application. And so... Um, so there was kind of a critical mass that happened organically. Yeah, yeah, it's very organic. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, but it sounds, now do you guys, so that's Vue, that's a language. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys have a big open source culture? You know, when you when it comes to like considering commercial tools, like say you use Spinnaker and you wanted to, you guys are using Jenkins, but or Jenkins, yeah. like the commercial version of Jenkins. Yeah. Like, how does that work? Do you usually we try like the, I mean anything that has a freemium model. So we'll usually try the free version. We were we did that with GitHub for a long time until they. Um, had like enterprise, well we went on a paid plan before enterprise came out, but um, yeah, we'll try the free version and see how we like it and see, I think we do a good job of taking a general consensus of how people are feeling about the tool that we are trying out for free. Right now we have some people trying um, Airtable for, um, not so much for like applications, but kind of for like keeping really? track of things. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of Airtable as glorified access. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about access. Yes. Um, yeah. So for people who aren't technical, though, it's like life changing because they don't have to like spend all their time like 
figuring out how to get an Excel sheet to work how they uh, want. Yeah, I was actually thinking moving um, some of our contributor processes to Airtable. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh-huh. We are using it for similar things internally. So that's how it starts out. Somebody is like, hey, I'm using this for like this side project over here that's helping me do my job. And then they talk, word of mouth gets out of the company. People are like, oh, that seems cool. Let me try it. And then once enough people are on it, we're like, okay, like maybe we get some licenses or um, with open source, when we use, uh, like Django is an open source project. We do um, donate to the when they raise money, and um, we try to be good stewards. How, so. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you I, keep track of that? I don't know. That's beyond wow, my pay grade. But uh, I don't know if this is like a, a on a regular basis. But um, like. But it sounds like you have that. You just like maybe you don't have to keep track of it. Maybe it's just part of the culture of the company, and you're. Like, you know, we're using the hell out of this. We should probably pay the people who are... Yeah, I mean, we... So a couple of years ago, we instituted or made official, if you will, a new um, company standard called the Golden Rule. And we have set out how the Golden Rule, like, I mean, it is the Golden Rule. Do unto others as you want to be done to you. But we spell out all of our stakeholders for The Motley Fool and we like spell out how the golden rule should apply to those people. So I think that we, in general, we just try to do the right thing. So, and if that means paying open source to get to use their products, then now I'll probably have people emailing me be like, you're using this package, you're not paying this. But. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's really cool. And it puts a new spin on the like open source is not what open source used to be. Open source, most open, most popular open source packages these days have some commercial entity behind it, even if it isn't the entity that originally created it. Like there's one behind Spinnaker who had nothing to do with the creation of Spinnaker mm -hmm. and you know around Kubernetes and all that stuff. So it's definitely a completely different thing, but adding value to it by like acknowledging the fact that, oh, people are giving their time to build this and we're benefiting from it, so we should donate. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird economy, like the Patreon economy and all that stuff. It's I know, yeah, are you like, you just like hope Google or somebody will like hire one of the core devs and they can just like work on yeah. it there or whatever? Which I guess, you know, one of the biggest fears around open source is security. I mean, how do you guys, you kind of talked about supporting your own code, being on call, and the shift left part, which is, you know, deploying your own code. How do you guys manage all the security stuff? Today, yeah, today, Capital One was, I think there was another breach today. Oh my gosh. So, you know, it's a big thing. Yeah, it's, it's not going away. Bigger. Yeah. Uh, well, we have an internal security team that audits new. So if something, if someone is using a free version and we decide as a company we want to roll this out, um, I don't know what, like how many people have to start using it or even if it is just that first person. We have an internal security, like tech security team that will evaluate the tools and um, they have a specific set of standards that they'll review them and make sure that they meet and so. And how do they prevent from being your enemy? 
uh, from developers know. going, oh, you guys, <laughs> you slow everything down, you block everything. Well, I think in general, we try not to introduce packages that we would be worried about. Um, so I, I just think we have a general level of trust with each other. And if the security person says like, no, like this is not gonna be good for us, then we know like, okay, we can't mess with that. Especially with everything with GDPR and um, the, the stuff happening in California. I think that we realize the detriment it could bring to our company if we uh, don't like dot all our I's and cross our T's, so. So that's, what's amazing to me is like somehow that became a part of your culture mm -hmm. from day one, because that's not something you can interview for really, you can't say, okay, security team just said no to your package. I guess you could, <laughs> but like to have that level of trust amongst the teams and the stewardship where you actually as a developer have some sort of mindset around security, you can't just like put that in an organization. And I think everybody's yeah. trying to figure out how do I get that if I don't have that? Yeah, true. And then the organizations that have it, like how, how, why do we have it? <laughs> And I yeah. I've never seen it, like there's no clear indicator of why that happens. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, we, when GDPR became a law in Europe, we had a huge company push to tighten up everything for GDPR. So, and I was around at that time. So, I mean, I remember how influential it was. But yeah, it's a good it's a good point for new developers. How do we keep that going? Yeah, and I mean, like, and when I hear the term full stack, I yeah. think it, to me it means more than just like I know front end, back end, and maybe process. It's also like I understand why quality matters. I understand why security matters. Yeah. And you hear the T shaped individual and all that stuff also, <laughs> but um, that to me is truly full stack. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, we could always be doing better. I mean, accessibility always too. And yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I try to, like, remember that everyone's trying their best, like, whenever I <laughs> do anything, so. Um. Well, if I wasn't a shitty developer, <laughs> I would come and work at Monty. Yeah! Yeah, now, you should. Uh, yeah, right. I don't think you'd have me. <laughs> as long as you're not QAing my code. Um, so what are you most excited about, either career-wise or technology-wise? Is there anything really new? I know you're launching the new um, offering, which is really cool. Oh, the Ascent? Yeah. Yeah, that's already live. Yeah, that's okay. out there. Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's an awesome time to be at The Motley Fool because we're really investing in new ideas and how we can diversify our company. Um, I think we're starting to look at, revisit ideas that haven't worked in the past and how we could implement them differently to like how can we get new people interested in investing than our, um, who we've historically targeted. So um, I think in terms of The Motley Fool, I'm really excited about how fool.com can help that because I mean we are like the face of the company um, for anybody who doesn't know us so I think anything we can do to, to help that mission is going to be exciting. Um, what about tech wise? Tech wise, I don't 
don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm really excited with where SEO is going. I feel like it's not just like first, second, third rank anymore on Google. It's thinking about how your podcast can be searchable and like your YouTube content and like how you can like answer people's questions. Um, and I think that it's going to result in really quality content and really quality web experiences for people. So I'm really excited about that. Now explain what that is. SEO. SEO. Yeah. yeah. Oh, search engine optimization. So yeah, like um, from like adding schemas into our like articles or like our fact pages so that Google knows like people are asking questions and we have the answers to. Um, it's amazing to me as a developer, like that's, you think about that. I mean, usually that's only the marketing team and that's when it was very kind of just static. Yeah, work, right? Like yeah. very boring. Yeah. So that's interesting. Well, we have a new push to like be relevant, right? I mean, that's yeah. all that like SEO. Yeah, because people you. want value right. from what they do. I mean, we have a very picky, picky <laughs> um, user base out in the web sphere so yeah well and like there's so much more content now you know yeah, i mean like how so. do you like find what's valuable and a lot of for a lot of people that's just going to google right um or we syndicate a lot of content we have um many content syndication partners so like making sure like our content on the internet is like valuable for the users who like come across Yahoo Finance or Google News or right. whatever application they're yeah. looking at. Yeah, until so. you go, oh yeah, that's right, Yahoo Finance. Yeah, it's still a thing. Really? <laughs> oh my God, that's a whole other story. Well, yeah. Emily, thanks for, now, did you like the pizza? It was oh, good? Yeah, it, it was passes awesome. the test? Yeah, good. I would, yes, I'll be getting a box to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. I ate my salad, I ate five <laughs> wings, and a massive piece of pizza, and I'm still hungry. Uh, it's the altitude. It's the altitude. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, I gotta use that excuse constantly now. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for driving here. And uh, hopefully your husband will be, we'll get him on an episode. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a good character, so good. he'll talk your ear off. All right. yeah. Thank you. Thank you.